purpose of the sessions is always to bring evidence and analysis to the table that's relevant for policy debates. And recently we've discussed individual areas of policy, labour migration or international students or integration. The aim this morning is in a sense to step back from that and look at the bigger picture and say, actually, what is it all for? What is uh, the purpose of uh, migration policy? Do we know what uh, the purpose is? Uh, does it matter if the long-term objectives aren't uh, explicit? Do we pay a price for that at all? Could it actually help to have that debate about what it's for? And if indeed government tried to lead a debate on that, uh, how would the public respond to it? When I say, you know, what might the aims be, just to take as an example, if we look at the, what the Canadians say their aims are, and they set them out actually later in legislation because they have purpose clauses, but you'll see that there's not just one objective, but a range of objectives there, including uh, strengthening the social and cultural fabric of Canadian society, developing a strong and prosperous economy, ensuring that families are united, promoting successful integration, facilitating the entry of students and so on, uh, protecting the health and safety of Canadians, maintaining the security of Canadian society, even right down to some detail, securing better recognition of foreign credentials of uh, migrant income to Canada. And I suppose the, the gist of my argument is that the, the aims of migration policy in the UK have just never quite been that explicit. They've never been set out in that way, and that there is uh, some disadvantage to that that ministers have perhaps been clearer what they intend to do in the short term rather than where it fits with actually the government's broader economic and social and international objectives. And I'm making the point about, in a sense, successive governments, not a, not a part of a political point about this government, but let's look at uh, the current government. Its headline policy, clearly, its, its overall ambition is to cut net migration substantially to the tens of thousands. Uh, so you can say, well, that is their goal, but then that begs the question, what for? What are they trying to achieve with that? And uh, we have to actually really scour the speeches to find out what they intend to achieve. We do hear more about how than, than the why. But the kind of things that have been said is, well, the aim is to build public confidence in the system, ensure cohesion, uh, protect public services, reduce the burden on the taxpayer. And I'd say perhaps implicitly is also this objective of limiting population growth. Interesting they didn't spell that out. The previous government did actually occasionally cite that as an objective. Um, but it isn't, uh, I think, spelled out by the government. Now, successive governments, of course, always find it very difficult in the practice to achieve uh, any cut in numbers. Um, the current government is no exception to that. The latest uh, figures published, I think, just only last week, show that far from getting net migration down to tens of thousands, in fact, it's still rising up to 239,000 last year, which was a rise of 20% on two years ago. So it clearly it's very difficult to achieve this target and part of my argument uh, will be, as you'll see, it's because actually there are competing objectives uh, which aren't always explicit, which make it difficult. There actually are three reasons why I would say it's difficult to achieve any immigration target, including this one. The first two really are about why it's difficult to deliver <coughs> what they're trying to do is because of the legacy that they inherit, and I'll explain what I mean. Um, and also, actually, the, the practical and cost constraints of doing it. But the third reason is the competing objectives. But just to look very briefly, what do I mean by the historical legacy? Well, clearly, governments don't start with a, a clean slate. They come in with promises of what they're going to do, but they find they inherit a whole series of things uh, which make it actually quite difficult to deliver. 
if we think back to when Labour came into uh, office in 1997, one of their promises was that they would speed up the processing of asylum claims. What did they find? They inherited a backlog of 52,000 applications in the system, and it happened to coincide with a computer system failure. So the actual backlog went up to 125,000 before they managed to get it under uh, control. And I think probably the coalition would say that they inherited this free movement of A8 nationals, which didn't need to actually have happened for another year. So they come in without a clear, open page as to what they need to do. And then there's actually the sheer practical constraints of trying to administer this system. We don't often see that top figure, but actually there's more than 100 million people pass <coughs> through the borders every year. Now, many of them, the vast majority of them are British. Uh, or European Union citizens, but more than 12 million of them are non-European Union, and they all have to be checked in and checked out. And so, actually, 100% checks on that just aren't feasible. The Cabinet Office did a study in 2006 which showed that if the UKBA raised by 10 minutes the time that it took to take <coughs> everybody through, it would cost the country 400 million. So there are limits on actually what can be done in passing people in, but also significant limits on actually detecting people if they're in the country and making sure that they leave. All of which is just to say the constraints suggest that instead of over-promising, as governments tend to do, we need in a future debate to have a little greater note of realism about what can actually be delivered. But the main point I want to make is that governments find it difficult to deliver because in practice, sometimes explicit but often implicit, there are competing objectives which in fact they have to take into account regardless of what they've said the headline policy is going to be. Sometimes we know what these are, but we don't have a debate on what the relative priority is, and the trade-offs that governments in practice make in the sense behind closed doors are rarely explicit and they're not shared with the public. So we're probably most aware of the economic imperatives. The government's explicit about competing for the brightest and the best. There's a pretty broad consensus about that, if less so about other labour migration. Probably a pretty broad consensus that actually uh, keeping the economic viability of our university sector is important uh, by allowing in international students, although the government was uh, willing to cut students as a whole at a cost of 2.4 billion, so there's a clear tension there between objectives. I think probably less well known is the, if you like, conflicting objective in relation to tourism. That is our third largest exporter, that is significant in the UK. And the Treasury's current plan for growth includes bringing an additional 4 million people into the country over the next four years. It's going to generate 2 billion, 50,000 jobs. It's particularly important for the SME, a small medium enterprise sector, so clearly a good thing. However, how are they going to do it? They're going to do it by making it easier to get a visa. And also, uh, having got those 4 million people in, it will be up to UKBA to uh, make sure that those who aren't allowed to stay do go home. So although we don't think of tourism in the context of migration, it actually does impose another pretty significant uh, challenge for the immigration system. And by making it easier for people to come, in a sense, you might say conflicts uh, directly with the objective of cutting the numbers who stay in the long term and can get into the country. Another set of uh, conflicting objectives are our international uh, relations and, and obligations. Uh, we enter into them either for migration reasons or for quite separate reasons, as you might say, with the European Union, but part of the deal uh, are uh, constraints on what government can do. The general agreement on trade and tariffs, for instance, not very well known, but limits the extent to which government control the uh, people from multinational companies who come into the UK. 
and you know, there are other examples, international development, we have in the past uh, limited the skilled health workers to come into the UK because we don't want to conflict with international development objectives. Human rights compliance, a third uh, and sense set of objectives, maybe sometimes less willingly engaged into by governments, but nevertheless something that they have to do. And the two that we're almost familiar with are the fact that the UN Refugee Convention requires us to consider all asylum claims, and the European Convention on Human Rights imposes a whole series of constraints on what government can do uh, at the margins, but nevertheless significant uh, in migration uh, policy in terms of who is allowed in and how much they can encourage people to leave. And the final set of objectives, I would say, are social objectives. They're perhaps the least explicit, but we might say that in the uh, coalition agreement objective of ending detention of children, there was at least an implicit, uh, perhaps explicit, objective of protecting the welfare of children caught up in the immigration system, at least to the extent of protecting them from detention. In relation to controls within the country, the fact that there is access to NHS treatment on transferable diseases, for instance, for everybody, regardless of immigration status, so in other words, rather than trying to detect uh, irregular migrants at the point of entry to health services, there is uh, a blanket allowing, and that's because of a social objective to protect public health. Family migration, now government partly allows that for human rights reasons, but it also reflects a commitment to the family life, which the Home Secretary calls the bedrock of society. Uh, but then we also see, if you look at, remember back to the aims for <coughs> migration, there are also social objectives in there. I think the, the focus of what I uh, wanted to raise with you this morning is whether it actually matters that these objectives are not spelt out and that we don't have a discussion about the relative balance and the trade-offs between them. And my argument is that it does, for all these reasons. Uh, firstly, if you're focusing on a single overriding goal, goal like cutting net migration, if you do that without a debate on competitors, you can distort actually what you're trying to achieve and underplay other important uh, goals. I think a very important one is that the public consistently see the failure to deliver and they don't know why. They don't know that part of the reason is actually because there are other things that government has to achieve at the same time because that hasn't been shared with them. Another reason is that an aim might actually be implicit, something like curbing population growth, but because it's not explicit and there isn't debate about it, the rationale for that and the evidence isn't tested. Does it actually matter to cut population growth? Perhaps it does, but where's the evidence? How does that weigh up, for instance, against the importance of reuniting families? And what would the public think about those um, objectives? If you don't explicit about your objectives, it's possible for the aim in one area to undermine another for instance, integration. Or you might have an objective that conflicts with wider government goals. One could have a debate about whether any aspect of migration policy does that. There was certainly, one might think, uh, something of a conflict between the uh, policy on family migration, to mention it again, this is one example, and the government's broad upon policy on strengthening families. Without being explicit on aims, we don't tend to have those uh, debates. And it's arguable that if we did have the debate, we might give greater prominence to some objectives uh, than we currently uh, do, because we're not uh, focusing on why they might be important. The last reason that I think uh, it matters is because if we 
don't debate what those objectives are. We don't have an opportunity, in a sense, to build up any kind of consensus uh, across a public debate as to what the objectives might be. So the question is, if it does matter, is there any kind of alternative approach? Would it actually politically be feasible for government to lead an evidence-based, to the extent that there is evidence uh, and it's patchy, but to lead an evidence-based sense of consultation on what the range of objectives of migration policy should be. So to put the different options <coughs> on the table and explore the rationale for them, uh, what the evidence is, how much they matter, and see what people think. I mean, the Canadian government goes up and down the country consulting the public on exactly that, both <coughs> members of the public, but also the stakeholders, the employers, the trade unions, uh, the community associations, and so on. How would the public react if we were to have a debate of that kind? Clearly, some of it would be rather heated and unpleasant. But the polls do suggest that, whereas clearly the headline figures are of significant public hostility to migration, when you actually get behind those headlines, we find that there is um, far greater nuances in uh, attitudes to that, not greater support for skilled migration, for instance, than for other kinds some considerable support for certain kinds of refugees. So maybe does that suggest that if the public were engaged in a meaningful debate, um, there would be some scope for greater flexibility in attitudes than the headline opposition suggests? Is it possible that that debate could, in a sense, build a greater consensus on what the aims are and a greater understanding of the fact that policy has to achieve a number of different objectives? And if we were able to get some agreement on that, albeit we might not get agreement on what the relative priorities were, would that actually help us in getting slightly less polarised and slightly more reasoned debate on the policy leaders to achieve it? If government was at all minded uh, to do that, clearly a major consideration would be how would the opposition handle that. If the opposition were going to cart from the sidelines and say, well, you're only doing this because you haven't achieved your target, then that wouldn't be um, very easy for them to do. So a question would be, would the opposition see it as in their interests to engage constructively in that debate? Because in the long term, they're going to have to face exactly the same problem of uh, securing public support for policy um, once uh, you know, at some stage they're back in government again. So I guess the two focuses I would suggest for debate are, um, first of all, does it matter that, that uh, we're not very explicit about what the objectives are. And secondly, is there any scope for an alternative approach? So we may also like to discuss uh, what migration policy is for. I've suggested some of the things, but of course, um, there's a much wider range of uh, objectives we want to talk about.